it's incredibly satisfying. Incredibly satisfying to see the smile on people's faces and and, and for people, you know, when you know when people come to you and say, Oh, you've got the best oysters I've ever had. It it feels nice, you know, it feels like you're really doing something, you know. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The life of a professional musician can be a thrilling and rewarding experience, but it can also be challenging and unpredictable. Musicians often spend long hours practicing, performing and traveling, all while trying to make a living from their art. However, some musicians find themselves drawn to another profession. Oyster farming is an unusual choice. Oyster farming may seem like an unlikely career for a musician, but the two professions share some similarities. Both require a great deal of patience, attention to detail, and a willingness to work hard to achieve success. Oyster farming allows them to work closely with nature, shaping and nurturing their product as it grows from a tiny seed to a mature oyster. They may find that the work is more physically demanding than their music career, but the rewards are just as fulfilling. For Michael Banjo Young, Life as a professional musician was often filled with excitement and travel. Not many can say they used this pathway to become an oyster farmer. Um, My name is Michael Young, commonly known as Michael Banjo Young. And right now I'm down at Pambula, New South Wales. I had a theatre restaurant in Melbourne um, back in the 80s. And my girlfriend lived in Marimbula. And we used to come up here and we'd visit and we came up and I I took an interest in oysters and I opened an oyster bar in North Melbourne in Chetwin Street selling oysters. You know, in North Melbourne back in the 80s, every corner there was a hotel and they had bottle shops. So I I didn't want to open and and compete with, with all those hotels um, and, and, and bars and everything that were t- doing takeaway. So when I come up to Marimbula with my girlfriend and I seen all the oysters and I, I met uh, an oyster farmer in Pambula, I went and seen him and he started sending oysters down to Melbourne for me. And what I did was oysters in those days were $3 a dozen. That's how much it cost. And I thought what I do is... I, I buy his oysters off him at $3 a dozen and I sell them for $3 a dozen. And then if they buy a bottle, a glass of wine, and I was charging $2.50 for a glass of wine and the wine was costing me 50 cents, I'd make $2 a customer. And, and, that's, and that's, what my, that's what my recipe was. And, and I had to put a limit on of only two dozen per person um, because people would turn up and they would, you know, eat five dozen and six dozen and ten dozen. So I had to put a two do- a, a two two dozen limit on. So if four people turned up, you know, normally someone didn't like oysters, so the other person would buy four dozen oysters. Buying an oyster farm as a novice can be a challenging and complex process. Novices face various trials, including understanding the regulations and laws governing oyster farming identifying the right location, determining the appropriate size and type of farm, assessing the condition of the existing infrastructure, evaluating the financial viability of the operation, and negotiating purchase price with the seller. But the cost of purchasing is nothing by comparison to the potential risks associated with environmental factors, 
such as climate change and water quality? Well, I had the Oyster Bar for about, um, I, I had the theatre restaurant for about eight years, nine years, and I had the um, I had the Oyster Bar for four years. Um, and, and what happened was I, I was under a lot of strain from my relationship. Um, my partner was always coming up to Marimbula, spending a lot of time up here. And she said, you know, if you'd only come and live up here, it's, it's not a really, your nightclub business is not really good for, I just had a little baby, um, Kelly. And, and she was a little baby and, and, and uh, Yvonne would say, oh, you know, if you, if you, you know, it, it's, this is not a good environment for, for babies and bringing up a family and stuff. So anyway, I was coming up to see Gordon um, to buy some more oysters and he had a sign in his shop, oyster farm for sale. And I said, oyster farm, are you selling up, Gordon? He said, yeah, he said, I am, I, I am selling up, Banjo. And I said, well... Why are you selling up? He said, oh, well, you know, he said, yeah, I'm getting a bit old now and I think it's time I gave it, gave it a rest. Oh, I said, I don't know. Where, where am I going to get my oysters from? Oh, he said, you'll have to, you know, wait until you see who buys it and, you know, talk to someone. You know something, Gordon? I, if I knew anything about oysters, I'd buy you out. And he turned around to me and said, you know something, Banjo? When I first started oyster farming, I knew nothing about oysters. I said, you knew nothing about oysters? He said, no. I said, well, what did you do before you were an oyster farmer? He said, I was a school teacher. I said, you're a school teacher? He said, yeah. Oh, anyway, so I got in my car and I drove all the way back to, to Melbourne and it was stewing on me and I was thinking it over and over and over again. And then I'd, I got home and I got back to Melbourne and I, I you know, because there's no mobile phones then. And then I, I rung up, I rung up Yvonne because she was up in Marimbiel. I said, Gordon's selling up. And I said, I, I, you know, I'm wondering if I should get into the oyster business. She said, well, that'd be a great idea. You could come up here and, and we could be a family. And, and that's how I got into the oyster business. A novice oyster farmer may face numerous challenges in dealing with unknown oyster diseases. To overcome these challenges, oyster farmers must be resilient and courageous. They must be willing to invest in their education and seek out expert advice, and they must be prepared to adapt their farming practices to prevent and manage disease outbreaks. They must also have the courage to persevere in the face of setbacks and the willingness to take calculated risks to build a successful and sustainable business. It was really difficult. And my first year was just absolutely horrendous. Um, I, I lost all my oysters. All my oysters died. Um, I, there was a thing up here in those days, it was really big, it was called winter mortality. And that is in the winter time, your oysters would die. Well, they never actually died in the winter. They died when the summer was starting. And I, I said, I, I, you know, um, Gordon said to me, he says, now, now listen, Banjo, make sure you sell all your oysters um, before August. He said, sell everything you've got. Well, July come, and my oysters had grown, but they'd only had a little, they, had a, they grew this little frill. And I thought if that frill just lifted up a little bit, they are going to be a size bigger. And instead of getting $2.50 a dozen, I'm going to get $3 a dozen. 
I'm going to get plate size, which is going to be a huge difference, profit margin. So, and then they started to die. And I, I, I was in the pub and I'm talking to the other oyster farmers and I'm talking to Bruce Watman, who's one of the oldest oyster farmers around here. And I said, Bruce, some of my oysters are dying. He said, oh, he said, yeah, he said, that's winter mortality. I said, well, what do, I don't know what to do. He said, he said, well, it's a cold. It's a cold. They catch it off different oysters and they die. So I said, well, what should I do? He said, well, maybe get the sick ones and get the dead ones and pull them out. So can you hear me? Hello. So I, I, so what I did was I went out and I grabbed all my trays and I pulled them all in and I took out all the dead ones and I took all the trays out again because we used to grow in trays in those days. And then there was more dead ones. So I went out there, I, I brought in all the trays and I took out all the dead ones and I took them out there and I brought them in there, brought them back, brought them in there, brought them back. Within a couple of months, I was absolutely exhausted and I only had 10 trays left. I've been completely wiped out. It was a long and hard recovery. It was a tough recovery. I was chipping, I was chipping oysters off the rocks. I was chipping, you, you're going around, you find the big, this is how we used to do it in those days. You find big ones that are growing on the rocks and you chip them and you, and, and you get them and ship them. And then I, I met a, I made friends with a bloke up in um, Wapango, um, old Bob Simpson, and, and he used to sell me oyster sticks and I started buying oyster sticks off him. And, and I, was, I did a lot better when I started buying oyster sticks. You know, I slowly got on top of things and, and I started to really, um, you know, to, to get on top of, uh, top of everything. And it was a great feeling, really was. But it was hard work, incredibly hard work. All my customers were local. You know, I, I, had a, I, I got a little shop up on Princess Highway and I called it Broidy's Oysters. And um, I, 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 uh, I was selling my oysters and I went down to the bloke down in, in, in Eden. There was a bloke down there that was selling craze. And I said to him, you know, can, you, can I buy some of your craze? And he said, yeah, you can. And I put a sign up and there were people driving their cars coming up to Marimbula and everything for Christmas. And they'd all pull up and they'd buy a lobster. And then when, while they bought my lobster, they'd buy a couple of dozen oysters. And then I'd, I, I got onto some people in prawns. And, uh, you know, I started... Um, and, and that's how it sort of kept on going. You know, it was, it, was a strong, it was a strong business. Well, in those days, it used to take four years for an oyster to grow, really. And the oysters now are growing a lot faster. Um, the, the fisheries, uh, the DPI, um, the scientists, they've, they've been slowly, slowly speeding up the growth of these oysters. And they've been fighting winter mortality and, and these diseases that confront the oyster industry. And, 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 and you know, we're, it, it's, we're getting on top of it all. And the oysters now grow a lot faster. When I first started in, I was in, my original lake was Pambula Lake. There, was, there, were, there were a handful of oyster farmers in the whole lake. I knew everybody everyone in the whole lake and we'd have meetings and all that sort of stuff. But now, now you look around and there's that many oyster farmers. There's, there's, you know, there's, the industry's grown um, quite a lot. Diversifying from oyster farming to running a food van can provide a range of benefits, including additional income, expanded customer base, greater flexibility, opportunities for experimentation, and a fun and rewarding experience. 
A background in hospitality can make this process less of a punt than farming itself. I, I thought what would be a great idea is, is to have vans, have, you know, like, like you've got a food van that sells hamburgers. Um, instead of having a food van that sells hamburgers, you have a food van that sells oysters. And then you can move that food van to wherever, where the people are. You can go to, instead of them coming to you, you go to them. So you've got a big activity. There's a big horse race meeting. You go to the horse race meeting and you've got your oysters. You go to, um, and we've done some great, um, you know, we did the Mardi Gras uh, up in Maruya earlier on um, this year. Uh, we did, uh, we, you know, we've been going to Canberra. We've done some big events in Canberra. And, and we, just, we just go where people want our oysters. Oh, it's, it's, it's incredibly satisfying, incredibly satisfying to see the smile on people's faces and, and, and for people, you know, to come, look, look I, I know my oysters aren't the best. Everyone's got good oysters. But, when, you know, when people come to you and say, oh, you've got the best oysters I've ever had, it, it feels nice. You know, it feels like you're really doing something, you know. And that little girl um, when, um, in, down in North Melbourne, she is now my business partner. K Kelly's come into the oyster business with me and she's, um, and you know, eventually she's gonna take over, I hope. The Sydney rock oyster is a unique and highly prized oyster species native to Australia. It's known for its distinctive sweet and salty flavor and its firm, creamy texture. The rock oyster grown in the pristine waters of the New South Wales south coast are in particular renowned for their nutrient-rich and mineral-dense properties with distinctive estuary-based flavours reflective of their unique marine environment or mechoir. Being an entertainer, I've, I've travelled all around the world on cruise ships, um, princess cruises, celebrity cruises, um, all these, all these cruise ships, Regency and everyone. And I've been to all the places where the oysters are quite famous. Galway, um, I, I've, I've been to the, um, to, the, to the festival in Galway. Uh, what, what a great place that is and what great oysters they've got. And I've tasted all the different oysters in, in, on the east coast of New York, at the, the, at the station there, at New York Station. They've got oysters there from all over. And, and, and some of them are $7 each. I've tried all these oysters. The best oyster in the world is the Sydney rock oyster. Yeah, it's just the texture of the meat. It's the taste of the meat. It's the creaminess of it. You've got to, you've got to taste one to know what I mean. And people that know oysters know exactly what I'm talking about. The daily work of an oyster farmer and a musician can be vastly different. Whilst a musician's work typically involves more creative and artistic endeavours which can be picked up whenever the musician desires, the oyster farmer is committed to tending to a crop that needs constant attention. While both professions require dedication and hard work, the daily tasks and responsibilities are quite different. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm working hard. I got up and I had to open some oysters that had to go to Canberra. I had to catch the, 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 the Canberra, the bloke at Canberra at, at, at uh, seven o'clock. He wanted to send them. They were going up to the Hellenic Club. Um, and then after that, we went out onto the oyster farm when we had a look. We, we've, got, we've got the big, um, the big festival happening next week. Uh, 
at, at, at uh, Naruma. We've got the big oyster festival and it, it's going to be big and it, it's really exciting. And me and my daughter went out on the lake and we, we had a look at our rows of oysters and, and we, you know, worked out which ones um, do you think we should, you know, do you think we should be pulling out? Uh, we're not pulling them out yet. We're holding out. We're going to be pulling them out next week. But we went out just to have a look. Um, I had to flip a couple of rows. And we've also got some new stock, which has just arrived from um, Churros. And I, I, I wanted to show Kelly them because she hadn't had time to see them yet. And they, they've taken off really well. They're growing really good. And then after that, we come back. We had some oysters. And we've been, um, you know, we've been sorting out oysters all day. Food festivals can be a fun and rewarding experience for oyster farmers. They provide an opportunity to share their passion for farming and food with a broader audience and to connect with others who share their values and interests. For someone who innately likes to share stories via the medium of music, they can also provide an especially interesting experience. I, I'm just looking forward to it. You know, I'm, it's going to be a challenge. I think it's going to be busy. Uh, we're making po'boys which everyone's going, oh, what are po'boys? What are po'boys? What are they? <laughs> so that's really exciting. Po'boys. Now, po'boys, I've, I've been to, I've played in New Orleans. I've played in New Orleans on a few occasions. Um, me and Lee Floyd did all the, um, a couple of the top clubs in, in Bourbon Street and, and off Bourbon Street. And I have got onto a couple of things there. And one of the things was the po'boy. Now, but back in the, Back in the 20s, that's when they started making these po'boys. The po'boy is, it's a baguette, which is hollowed out inside. And on a skillet, it's cooked. You, you cook oysters with bacon and the local spices. And it's all mixed together and then it's all stuffed back in the, in the baguette. And, and, and that's what the musos used to eat and everything. When they were all running around going from club to club, you didn't have time to do anything, so you just grabbed yourself a po' boy. And I have got the original recipe, and that's what we're going to be making at the festival. It is, an ex it, it is a sensational experience. Yeah, all I can sort of describe it as, it's a little bit like a oyster Kilpatrick in a bun. For some, the allure of oyster farming can provide a new sense of purpose and fulfilment. While the two professions of music and oyster farming may seem vastly different, they both require dedication, hard work and a passion for creating something unique and valuable. Watching something grow, John, it's like when you grow tomatoes. You know, when we were little and my dad said we're going to grow some tomatoes, he got a tomato and you see the tomato tree grow and the tomato's there and you water it and you look after it and it gets bigger and bigger. It's like that with oysters. You got your oysters, you go out there, you have a look at them, you see the little frill on them, you see the frill coming up and then you see the lid pop up and then later on the frill comes up again, the lid pops up again. It's, it's, it's exciting to see. It's, yeah, yeah, it really, it gets you, it gets you really in. And, and what I really like about it what I'm happy about is my daughter has got the same passion. You know, it's caught up with her and, and, and she's getting all excited about it. You know, she loves to go out and, and just have a look at them, you know, just to go out and see them. It's exciting. The, the other thing which is really good is you're outside. You're working outside and you're outside with nature. 
and, and you're in a beautiful part of the world, that's you know that that's all the up down, that's all the upside. You know the downside is someone what somebody wants oysters is in the middle of winter. It's freezing cold and it's you know there's there's a storm brewing and you've got to get out there and you've got to do it. You know so it sort of <laughs> sort of works itself out. But you know it is nice to be outside. Nurturing a next generation of both oyster farmer and musician is an honourable and proud undertaking. For Banjo Young, maintaining his passion for both oysters and music, he has dedicated his work in both via a unique and catchy tune, the Oyster Song. I'm hoping he brings his banjo along to the Naroom Oyster Festival to give it a run. Oysters, oysters, I like my oysters, baby, that's what I like. Oysters, oysters, I like my oysters, baby, that's what I like. A little bit of lemon, a little pepper too. Yeah, put it all together and Oysters, oysters, I like my oysters, I like your oyster too. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app. <laughs>